If you Google the NHS, you'll see screaming headlines from the Daily Mail about cost and waste. Debate in Parliament is about how much of our GDP should we be spending on health. And each year, hospital trusts have to go cap in hand, asking for more funding. Against this backdrop, a new analysis, and a first in a series, published on bmj.com, looks at what it takes to have sustainable healthcare, and crucially, talks about this from the point of view of benefit, not cost. I'm Navjoit Lada. And I'm Duncan Jarvis. And today we've come to the House of Lords to speak to Lord Nigel Crisp, crossbench peer, former NHS Trust executive and health system guru. In his article, Lord Crisp identifies seven key things to think about when considering the sustainability of health systems. First, there are three internal factors. Number one, the efficiency and effectiveness of health and care provision. Number two, the availability of well-trained health and care workers. And third, the costs and economic benefits. Then there are some external factors to think about. So we're on number four, health and the resilience of the general population. Five, contribution of carers and those informal networks of care. And number six, integration of policy and practice with other sectors and therefore the building of healthy and health-creating communities. Overall, as well, you need to think about the public and political support. Lord Crisp, thank you very much for talking to us this morning. Thank you. Nigel, tell us a little bit about how you came to be interested in um, sustainability of health systems and what exactly you mean by that. Thank you. That's a good question. I, I actually have spent much of the last 10 years working in Africa and a bit of time in Portugal. And in Portugal, I was explicitly asked to look at how they could help make their system sustainable. So this article is based on quite a bit of experience in Portugal, but actually also elsewhere in Africa where they don't often have, well, they don't have strong health systems and they're thinking about how they can create them. So they're asking the sort of questions, which in some ways maybe we were asking in the 1940s. You know, what do you actually do if you're going to have a sustainable health system? And that's where we came up with in our discussion in Portugal and I've refined it a bit since then with this idea that there are three things you've got to get right in the system itself. It's got to be efficient, it's got to be effective, it's got to be good and, 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 and affordable and so on. But actually there are also things externally um, that you've got to get right in order for the health system to be good. Um, because actually you can't run a health system just on the health system itself and the politicians what about the rest of us? What about all the informal care systems? Well, that has an impact on the health system. What about employers? What about other people? So that's where the thinking has come from, from my experiences in those countries, and then thinking about them in the UK as well. And then just to take a step back, um, so what, I mean, I suppose it asks questions of what do we even mean by a health system? And, what, you know, those sort of broader questions about how are we defining those systems? Well, what I mean by health system is um, all the things that are about trying to both promote health and to um, provide health services when we are ill or to stop us getting ill, hopefully, um, and the things that are connected up. Now, in some countries, you do have a system. I think in the NHS, in the UK, rather, we have the NHS, which is the heart of that system. Um, it's not the entirety of the system, because actually we do a lot for ourselves, don't we? But we do it in conjunction with the NHS. And I think we're pretty well joined up. In some other countries, and the classic example would be uh, the United States, 
there's great fragmentation and the bits of the system don't talk to each other. Um, and in parts of Africa, of course, there's there's not a system because it simply hasn't been developed. So I don't use a terribly technical definition of a system with this, but it is everything that is done to try and promote health and, and, uh, and uh, help us when we're ill. I mean, that sort of begs looking at this from a, a much wider point of view. And um, I wonder when we talk about sustainability, whether this is you know, partly a sort of framing issue. Um, it's always talked about in terms of, you know, the money, essentially. How much does it cost to do this? How much of the economy is it taking over? Um, but I don't think I, in all my years doing this now, I've really heard that much about the benefits of it, you know, a priori, having healthy people is, is good. It's a moral good. But, uh, but you know, the wider benefits of, of looking after your population. Yes, this is absolutely to, to the point. Let me just widen it as well. We, governments and, and countries have responsibility for the security of their people. Uh, and the security of a country is to do with the armed forces and the police, but it's also to do with how people within the country behave. And in some ways, we should be thinking about human security as well. And human security, my hear, is people able to live a decent life. And that's a responsibility of government to provide the conditions in which that can happen. Um, and that's why I think we do need to reframe this question and say, um, how, do we, how do we make sure we provide the conditions in which people can ha live a decent life? And that includes, obviously, their health and well-being, uh, as well as everything else. And how do we make that sustainable? Because if we just lurch from one crisis to another, um, then we've got major problems. Um, but actually, the sustainability of a decent health system will depend on money, yes, of course, uh, but it will also depend on us having enough staff. Mm. You know, if we lost all our nurses because they all went home to Europe or elsewhere, let us say, just to take a hypothetical <laughs> question, um, then that's an even bigger issue than whether or not we run out of money next week. Um, uh, and indeed, you know, there are other issues of sustainability, you know, computer systems, for example, uh, breaking down or whatever, but also trust, you know. Sustainability also depends on people trusting a system. I've seen systems in Africa where they say they've got a health system. South Africa set up what they called a free health system, but nobody used it because they didn't think it was any good. Um, so it didn't cost the country very much, but the population didn't get um, uh, fit either or didn't, uh, or didn't get the services they needed either. So this really is quite a big question that we need to be thinking about. I was just going to say that in the article, you're you're not only looking at the NHS, you're looking more broadly at, at, at this as a question for sort of internationally, globally that that countries ask. Um, but obviously, in the here in the UK, we we tend to think of it all. You know, this is all framed around the NHS and and um, and how that that works for us. And I think one of the things that's come up um, while we've been talking about your article is um, the sort of questioning the very values or at least laying out the values of, of what do we what do we want our health system and when I say health system I do mean the NHS what what do what are we asking for it to provide and what do we believe that it should sort of stand for and is this something that's the sort of values of a system that's that's crossed your mind as you're thinking about it elsewhere or is that quite a, a British thing? No, again, this is a very important point. I think health systems are culturally defined. Um, in Europe, we by and large have health systems which are based on social solidarity. You know, we frame it in a particular way, but so do other European countries. And most countries that are part of the Commonwealth also do that. Um, but actually, in the US, they don't recognise social 
solidarity uh, and and there's a completely different cultural aspect and uh, and the notion of competition is much more clearly there which is why there is so much trouble to try and get a single payer system into America because it's just culturally not attuned and you'll see the same thing in in a number of different countries around the world now I think we are European <laughs> uh, we're British and and there's a sort of sense almost of that fairness is almost the bottom line of the NHS isn't it and I think that'll still be there um, whatever changes we, we see around um, but there is that cultural overlay um, uh, and so I am writing it I am writing it wearing NHS spectacles I am seeing the, life, the, the world in, in that sort of way but I am also open to the fact that the way we deliver that now the way we deliver those values could change very significantly and I do think in the future that um, you know why aren't employers having a bigger role why isn't education having a bigger role why aren't um, designers and so on being seen as part of the system and part of the solution part of actually making sure that you have what I described in part of that article as a health creating society two brilliant quotes one from the WHO European region which says modern societies actively market unhealthy lifestyles we all know that you know the size of the mug you have with whatever it is you have in the amount of sugar it, that, that you have in it. Um, and then a brilliant quote from, from Africa, from Uganda, an old uh, Ugandan saying, which is, health is made at home, hospitals are for repairs. You know? <laughs> and you could say the health system is for repairs, if you like. And actually it's how we construct society, what happens in society, the, you know, the first five years of a child's life, which are not governed by the NHS, all these kind of things are actually what creates health. And we need to try and orientate us, our health system more clearly towards those aspects and rather just than the, the, the repairs and uh, end of the business. Having said that, I know I'm saying this at a time when the NHS is under enormous pressure. I don't work in the NHS. I don't haven't happily had any dealings with the NHS recently as a, as a patient. Um, but my friends there tell me what levels of pressure there are, uh, and it's really important those are dealt with. Uh, I don't in any way want to underestimate the problems that people are dealing with. But at the same time, we have to think about the bigger picture. And maybe it's easier for people like me who are outside a little bit now to actually be raising these questions. Um, and pushing any future government, or indeed this government, but in, into thinking about the determinants of health much more seriously, mm -hmm. because that's where the future's got to be. I was in Singapore until uh, a few hours ago, um, and I've noticed that they've just introduced a law, no, they've just introduced a, a, an agreement with all manufacturers of um, drinks with sugar in them, that they will limit the amount of sugar in a drink to 12%. Um, I gather that is very low compared to what we have. It sounds like quite a lot to me. Um, but this is a, you know, a big, a big improvement. You know, it's a very sensible thing. They have similar problems about running a health system as every developed country has. Um, but you've got to do these things as well and squeeze the demand side of the, uh, uh, of the issue. Now, you've mentioned this a couple of times. Um, I just wanted to pick up and it's a, a bigger question which is the kind of the people in the system so um, the nurses that might be heading back to Europe um, you also talk about carers and that, those sort of informal systems of, of care that, that look after people um, and it just seems at the moment that our current government has almost set itself against you know the people that work for the NHS um, 
with things like the bedroom tax and stuff against people who are carers. Um, and it seems to me that they don't recognise the value, the sort of human capital um, there. Is that something that, that worries you? Yes, I think they don't get it. I mean, I think the trouble is there's a, there's a mindset which thinks of health services as something you buy and sell. Um, and to some extent you do that, you know. I'm perfectly happy when I'm going to my dentist to be in a position of, if you like, buying and selling and not having getting into anything deeper uh, uh, about it. And, and there is an aspect, and, you know, the, the introduction of a more business-like approach into health, I think, has been good in, in very many ways. But it does miss out on the sort of points... Um, that you're making, that actually if we take the level of carers, the most recent study on looking at carers in this country showed that if you costed out what informal carers do, it would amount to almost exactly the same amount as we pay for the NHS. Uh, uh, so, you know, roughly 7% of GDP or, some, or, or something of that sort. Um, and if the carers are weakened and found they can't cope with their caring, then the problem will fall onto the formal health system. If they're strengthened, um, then you'll be taking some pressure off the formal health system. This is why the health system is not just uh, the NHS. And with the current government, we have seen, uh, particularly, I think, around dis disabled people, but in a number of other areas, we've, we've seen some of the support to people being taken away some of the stuff uh, which, which is not only about the economic issues I, I mean I have very uh, you know very eloquent friends who are disabled who argue the point about independent living is this isn't actually doing somebody a favor and it isn't actually about taking the pressure of the NHS this is actually about people's rights and right to live an independent life um, and with some of that being whittled away with voluntary organizations being whittled away you're then throwing more pressure back where you don't want it, which is onto the hospital A&E department or, or onto the GP. So I think there's real issues there. You also raised the question of staff. And I was thinking as I flew back into the UK today, um, whether I ought to ask a question in Parliament about um, what is the current government's strategy towards motivating health staff? You know? I, I've run organisations in the NHS and outside, actually. Um, and one of the questions you do think of as a boss is, how do I motivate my people? Mm. And I just would like to know what the current government thinks it is doing to motivate the staff in the NHS. I wanted to ask a slightly prosaic question, maybe, about measurement. So within this, a lot of what you talk about sounds very sensible and you know i agree with a lot of it um but the things the outcomes of that aren't going to be financial you know it's things like wellness it's um acceptability it's uh you know how happy the population is perhaps um but so often when we think about the nhs the simplicity of measuring the cost of it or a gross measure like you know um mortality uh you know we we have to do it at that level so i just wondering within the sort of looking at this how would you go about working out whether what you're doing is working and and um is moving towards that sort of sustainable health system well i i I mean, I mean, again, a, a good question. And there's got to be hard measures as well as what you're thinking of as rather softer measures here. I, I think the NHS does some very well on a number of hard measures. You, you are aware of the Commonwealth 
table in in uh, New York, which looks yes. at developed countries, and we do very well on a whole series of issues there, including the fact that very rarely in this country are people stopped going for healthcare because of cost reasons. Um, you know, so it's things like that. But the thing we do really badly on, and which I think is rather shaming, and we need to do something about, is um, mortality amenable to healthcare interventions, where we actually come. I, I saw the figures yesterday. We actually come. Um, uh, I think it was 22nd in the world, um, which is actually much lower than we would um, expect to be. Um, so I think there needs to be a real focus on on that. And this is this is uh, a lot of this is to do with cancers, as far as I can see from from the figures. Um, but it's a number of other areas where maybe uh, and, and again I've heard some of the explanations as maybe we are not intervening quickly enough. You know, so cancers are moving on into later stages too quickly or, or, or not picked up as early as, uh, as possible. So I think there are, there are, those hard measures are really important because actually if the health service bit of it, if it's not, if, if we are dying quicker than we should, then that's, that's failure. You know, that, that's, but, but it is a mixture of things. Um, IHI, Institute for Healthcare Improvement, have this triple aim thing where they talk about um, three things they try and get in balance, improvements in the health of the population as a whole, um, uh, the quality of the health care that is provided, and the overall cost. You know? So I think it's something like that that we need to be looking at. Um, but all of it underlying with, with, with patient acceptability and, 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 uh, and this sort of notion of value, if you like. You know? Value which is both a, 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 a financial figure, but is also, value is also a perceived thing. It's what you get out of it. So I think we need some different measures. At the moment, we do talk about um, money, uh, it seems to me that there's more talk about money than anything else at the moment, which seems counterintuitive. Um, uh, there are some hard out. There's talk about waiting lists, which again are important for lots of reasons. Um, but I think you know, if, if I were concerned about anything at the moment, it would be these, uh, you know, mortality due to uh, mortality avoidable mortality, um, which was susceptible to healthcare interventions. Where I think you know, it was a really key measure that we need to be. Uh, paying a lot of attention to, I think. Having said that, you know, we're not by any means the worst, but we're not near the top. Uh, 22 is just simply not high enough. Following on from actually both of those answers there about public and political acceptability and then also about the sort of focus on money, one of the... um, well, particularly one of the stories that emerges all the time with the NHS is that we... the, The conversation always seems to be about the sort of cost burden that the NHS provide you know that seems to be the political framing so um, how do you think well what, what do you think a, a response to that should be well I I, th- I think there are probably two responses to that I, I, at the moment you're absolutely right in this country and a number of others health care and public services are seen as a burden which is slightly odd isn't it with the exception of some sorts of public services like army and security which are seen as you know sensible um, and, and what I, but what I think is actually even more complex or, or more difficult is that there is a there is a, a uh, an argument that goes we've got to improve our economy so that we can pay for our health services um, I understand that and certainly the richer you are the more you can pay for your health services but it's a two-way relationship mm. and that's the bit that gets missed in that argument um, because actually improving your uh, human capital to use a sort of jargon phrase which is not just about health it's also about education you know making sure we've got skilled equipped and healthy people capable of 
taking on the employment and, and, and uh, economic issues of the future is fantastically important to us. Um, so I think we need to be reframing some of this. Now, that doesn't, of course, mean, you know, you could use that argument in a, in a very shabby way and sort of suggest that means putting more money in health means that you'll get a, um, uh, a stronger economy. It's putting money in health in the right way <laughs> to get the stronger economy, if you see what I mean. It's not just any expenditure on health that will, uh, that, that will lead to that. So, uh, but we don't focus on that. We don't focus on that aspect of how um, the health system um, strengthens the labour productivity in other industries, uh, strengthens our competitiveness in the world, if we want to measure this in, in, in economic terms, um, and also provides the most extraordinary platform for um, science uh, and biomedical science in which we are frankly you know we vie with the US for being top you know we did a study from I, I chair a parliamentary group or all party parliamentary group on global health and two years ago we did a study on the UK's contribution to health globally uh, which looked at what we did in four sectors academia um, government which is the NHS but also DFID our department for international development voluntary sector um, and commerce and if you look across all those sectors we're not below fourth in the world on any of those on ac on the academic one we are arguably top um, we beat the Americans on some measures of numbers of citations in respectable journals like the BMJ where there's a British first author and interestingly on those where there is a British first author here and, and their citations in peer-reviewed journals of British first, first author um, in 63% of, uh, of the terms uh, there's a foreign other author. The American equivalent, there's only 25% of the time is there a, a foreign um, equivalent, which actually says something about the contribution of health uh, and academia to soft power and to sort of, you know, civil relationships around the world and so on. Um, so the UK is extraordinarily powerful. This is, you know, arguably, uh, well, it, health is the biggest growth so the biggest industry in the world by many measures now and we're a world leader in it we should be making the most of that and having a basic good health service for our people which is then a platform for research a platform for training and developing people who then become the scientists and the clinical scientists who then work within that system there's a there's a positive paradigm there um so that's how we should re be reframing it but all the time being aware that that doesn't just money mean putting more money in because actually it's how you put the money in what you're doing with it and so on that is uh, that is crucially important but it is a political reframing that i think we should be trying to to move towards and then on that i suppose we you, you've mentioned this earlier about wider um social determinants of health and things. Uh, you know, our welfare system is always framed as a burden. Um, do you think you could look at that equally as being a, uh, an investment in, in people instead? Well, again, it depends which bit of it. I mean, because we always hear about the bits where people allegedly say they're not an investment in, 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 in the future. Um, and I think we need to be careful about the language of in, in, in investment and what we mean by an investment. Um, but um, we don't hear many people yet, and I hope it doesn't come, arguing that we should all be paying for our education for children under the age of 17, do we? Um, although we do have in this country a very sharp divide between private and public education which is well again when I was running the NHS it was one of the things I was really keen that we didn't end up in that position of you know separate systems for the 
uh, upper middle classes and, and, and the rest, and we haven't ended up in that system. Uh, and, and I hope we don't end up like that. Um, but people, I do think, see education as an investment in the terms that, that, that we're talking about. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's also an argument about uh, that, that should be made about, of course, if you're looking after people when they're unemployed so that you're helping them get back into work, that is all also an investment. So, uh, but you can also see in some ways that some of this is a burden too. Uh, and, it, and if handled poorly as a burden. So this does need to be, be reframed. And I do think uh, that the, there's a lot of um, discussion uh, um, about you being entitled, you, you've got to put something in to get something out. Uh, and I understand that, you know, there, there is a bit about, you know, what are your rights and, res- and what are your rights as a citizen, but what are your responsibilities too? And that I think takes us back to some of these other areas where government could reframe the health service as being something which we all put something into and support you know the informal carers the employers other people are looking at health you know in this country the blood donors make a massive contribution to the health system you know they, we, it, it should be something we're part of you know the, the, so there is a sort of responsibilities and a, and a and a give as well and i think you could reframe it in those in those sort of terms without going back to a situation where um, and in some places and at some times, uh, you end up with a, a sort of vicious circle of people who become dependent because things are available to them. Uh, and I'm sure this does happen. There are people who become dependent. We don't find a way to help them break out of that. You've been listening to Nigel Crisp, UK crossbench peer, discussing his article, What Would a Sustainable Health and Care System Look Like? Keep an eye out for more from this series on bmj.com and we'll be covering it in the podcast too. So subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss out. Thanks for listening.